this is Tribecast episode 30, and my name is Marina. Though we have ended Tribecast summer tour, it won't stop me from traveling and visiting events, talking to people outside of Tampere. So, when our friends from Shift Business Festival in Turku invited us to do a recording, there was no place for doubts whether to go or not. This week's episode contains five interviews, and here are the names. You will hear the CEO of Metza Spring, Niklas von Weimar, the CEO at Shift Business Festival, Mari Minister, Chief Digital Officer of Handelsbanken, Stefan Erne, Business Development and Technical Product Manager of Neste, Risto Vapola, and last but not the least, Professor Joanna Bryson. My name is Marina. You're listening to Tribecast Rare. So let's get started. Right. And this week we are recording a special episode for Shift Business Festival in Turku on the invitation of organizers and I'll remind our listeners that an interview with one of the shift crew, Velipeka, was released a few weeks ago. So you can check that in the previous episodes. Today we have guests who are mostly speakers and visitors from shift. My first guest for this week represents Metza Group. Also, he's a speaker. But, well, he'll talk more about what he is and what he, he's going to talk about. Hello, Niklas. Thank you very much for having time for this interview. And let's start from the very basics. Can you tell our listeners a few things about yourself? Hi, and thanks for the invitation. My name is Niklas von Weimann. I work for Metza Group and um, more specifically for, for the unit or the company called Metza Spring, which is a, a fairly new corporate venture capital company uh, within Metza Group. Right, and also you're a speaker today during Shift Festival. Could you please tell what will be your keynote about, what will your presentation be about? Well, the session is about forest, or it's linked to forest, so I need to talk about, uh, first of all, what the Finnish forest is all about, and, and then hopefully towards the end of my presentation I come to startup companies and how they link to the ecosystem, which is uh, built around using wood and making all, all kinds of uh, interesting products. So from biological understanding of ecosystem to business understanding of ecosystem. Exactly. That's right about what we are doing. Okay. I should confess I have never met a startup who are doing something about forest, at least a Finnish startup. I met a few internationals. Is it a big thing nowadays in Finland? Is it popular? Well, compared to the scenery in the area of IT or gaming, the forest-based sector is still small in terms of startup companies, but, but it's developing. So it, it's a very interesting time to be part of, of that uh, scene at the moment. Uh, and you have to remember that, that in, in a forest-based sector, it's not only about manufacturing something, it's also quite a lot of different new t- digital tools which we are applying uh, to our businesses, and, and they are typically developed by small companies. Can you maybe give some, if you have some good example in your head, what kind of things can be done with the Finnish forest? And generally, why did Metsa decide to join this specific field, not something more popular like mentioned gaming? Well, originally Metsa was established, a parent company, about 90 years ago by a group of forest owners. So the parent company is a cooperative and, and uh, the mission is still the same to, to make sure that there is uh, good demand for the Finnish uh, trees. And that requires then a, a very competitive uh, uh, global uh, business to be able to purchase the wood from, from the forest owners. So that's what the parent or the group company companies are doing. But then again, as any company, small or big, we need to develop, we, we need to look into the future. And uh, it's, quite, it's quite clear that that fraction of the new ideas will be found within our group. Uh, and most of the ideas will be outside our 
group. So, so how to find those? How to find uh, a good idea in Japan or a good idea in a university in, in Canada? And uh, one way of, of uh, attracting and interacting with these uh, smaller companies, these, these ideas, uh, is then uh, to be active in, in, in corporate venture capital activity. All right. I got the how-to, but maybe you can define for me what is a good idea in your understanding when you're thinking about cooperating with a startup. What are your criteria? Yeah, the m- main criterion is to find such new technologies or business ideas which link to the business ecosystem around Meta Group today. So they would, in the long term, then be part of, of the ecosystem if the development of the company is successful. So that's the main idea. It's a strategic reason to be active in, in venture capital uh, scenery, uh, not primarily a financial reason. So thinking a few steps ahead every time. Yeah, I mean, it's just one way of uh, finding new ideas. We are also quite active in open innovation in, in, in quite a few open uh, or joint research uh, uh, projects where we have, even with competitors, developing uh, some basic understanding. We recruit clever people. We, we can in-license uh, interesting technologies. But uh, on top of that, then uh, investing in, in small, fast-growing companies is uh, just another tool in the toolbox. When I was preparing for the This episode at Shift, I found that on the website of Shift Business Festival, they actually linked each speaker to the company website. Mm. And for you, there is your photo and a quote from one of your, I don't know, speeches or emails, which says that broad collaboration is essential for true innovation. And I guess you just gave a very good explanation of what what you mean by all that. Yeah, that's, I mean, essentially, you will not uh, reach innovations in in this current uh, world, this current globalized world alone. You need to be part of a network. You have a cooperation with a lot of different actors, universities, research organizations, other big companies, but also with small companies. And they are not only in Finland, they are everywhere in the world. So the network is important, uh, which I call uh, call an ecosystem. And, and that's why, why I, ref, I, I refer uh, to a broad collaboration. And that's, in my mind, needed really to have the best innovations. So do I get you right that you mostly believe in collaboration outside of Finland? No, I... I what, the, what's more important, in your opinion? Enhancing the collaboration inside of Finland, making it deeper, or looking for partners on the outside? It's both. But uh, if you look in the history, uh, the, the forest sector has been very good at cooperating within Finland. We used to call this the Finnish forest cluster, and uh, the collaboration within the cluster has decades of tradition. So that's not the problem. Uh, the problem is to understand that old way of, of categorizing uh, these industry sectors is, is gone. It's, it's getting gray and, and, and hazy and blurry. And the new interesting things will be found when, when a company from our sector uh, is meeting a company from another sector or our big company is meeting a small company. Mm-hmm. That's where, where you really have the, no, the new things cooking. So there is no more like black and white. You should look for some interesting cooperations and even unusual partnerships. For us to be able to be active in, in this uh, venture capital activity, we need to have a good basic uh, or base uh, business. That's key. We need to be competitive in our base business. Uh, uh, otherwise, we don't have the, the means, the money to invest in new. So it's a balance between the old and the, and the new. Uh, and uh, when you look for the new, you, you need to go outside Finland and outside the forest sector uh, in the mm-hmm. future. 
Right, and definitely festivals like Shift or the coming in October stream in Tampere are the places to meet new people and look for new collaborations and partners. Yeah, as I said, only a fraction of the new ideas will be found inside our group. Most of the ideas are outside and this uh, festival today is a good example of how you can uh, have collisions with the people who have the new ideas. Is it your first Shift? This is my first Shift, yes. Okay, welcome to Shift. Thank you. It's my first also, so mm. let's explore how it goes. If there is a startup who would like to cooperate with Metsa Group and who are not here today, what are the ways to reach you guys? Well, perhaps the easiest way is to, to go to our homepage, uh, metsaspring.com, without any dots or so, metsaspring.com. Mm -hmm. And at the bottom of, of the entrance uh, page, you, you will have this link, which then feeds back to my table. Right. And I should have asked this question in the very beginning, but yeah, let's just ask it now. Could you please tell a bit more about what is your specific position within the group? Well, my title is CEO of Metzaspring. And Metzaspring, as, as mentioned earlier, is, is the, the corporate venture capital mm -hmm. arm of, mm -hmm. of Metza Group. Mm -hmm. We were established about one and a half years ago, so it's a fairly new part of, of Metza Group and, and, and growing, developing part. At the moment, we are We are three persons employed by Metzaspring, but then a lot of, let's say, about 15 additional persons from Metza Group helping us. But they, they obviously are then employed by some other legal entities within the group. You very well explained what exactly your department is doing. Mm. Right. Uh, thank you very much for this interview, Niklas. It was my pleasure. It was a, the kickoff of this episode, so hopefully it will continue as, as good. good as it is. And I wish you a good two days on this festival. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. And of course, for each event, we need to ask at least someone who is behind the event to tell us what the festival is about. And this time, it's beautiful Mari, who is in our improvised studio at Shift Startup Festival. So, hello Mari. Thank you very much for having time. I know it's really crazy busy days for you. Thank you very much for having time for this interview. And let's start from the very beginnings and roots. Please tell our listeners a few things about yourself. Hi. So, my name is Mari Mannista. I'm the CEO of Shift, uh, based here in Turku, Finland. And yeah, thanks for having me and thanks for asking. My background is actually in marketing and communications. I started in Shift as a volunteer four years ago. I did my first year volunteering for Shift. I did Shift marketing. It started as many, many stories in the startup uh, scene start. I went to a meeting with some cool people and they asked me to do a couple of social media posts next week. And yeah, so by the end of that next week, I was actually head of marketing of Shift. So as a volunteer, so <laughs> that's what happened. <laughs> and since my role has become more, more and more, uh, since I also got inspired by Shift and I was enthusiastic. So I got employed by Shift then ultimately, and I have been employed at Shift for two and a half years now. Okay, as far as I got it, there is one thing in common between Tribe Tampere community and Shift Business Festival, which is the amazing power of volunteers, which make us running and going forward. But how big is the Shift team and how many volunteers are there and how many full-time employed people? Yes, so we have a Shift RU, which is a non-profit, and then we have a company owned 100% by Shift RU. In that company, Shift Events OU, we have six full-time employees, of which all of them have grown from initially being volunteers with us. On top of that, 
We have interns from different high-level education facilities in, in Turku. Also, we have uh, volunteers around the year as well. And then I would say, of course, the number of volunteers and staff and interns is based or, or depends on what time of the year it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but right now, I would say that we have about about 100 to 150 volunteers working today. And of course, then a lot of other staff that we have hired as well. Okay, that's quite a manpower or human power. And you're actually a showcase of how a volunteer can get a job within an organization. And you said that you find Shift inspiring. What inspires you about this festival? Well, my nature is uh, I'm naturally curious person. So I think that's one thing that I was really inspired about at Shift. We bring all the new stuff or not all the new stuff, but some of the coolest new stuff in technology to mm-hmm. showcase for businesses. So, yeah, so I think that's it. Curiosity for the new things. Compared to ship or stream, Shift says that you are not a startup festival, but you are a business festival. So does it mean the startups are not welcome here? Definitely not. Yeah. So we have had pitching competitions in first two years as well. We do have startups attending. We do have pitching competition as a side event mm-hmm. right now as well. Actually, yesterday that was all pitch. Uh, so we do have a lot to offer also for startups. We do have investors attending and so forth. But also, if you are a startup and you come to Shift, you can also meet a lot of SMEs. You can also meet a lot of people from corporations and we do have a really unique atmosphere a little bit more relaxed and you know you can just go talk to people and you know kind of it's not so hectic as as many of the like hardcore startup events like slush and arctic where you really have your agenda and you kind of you know so to shift you can come just you know come as you are and Let's see what opportunities you find. And also, I personally deeply appreciate that you uh, forbid high heels on the venue. Yes, no high heels. (laughs) Is it because you moved the venue this year? We have had the no high heels rule actually every year because we have been in very unique venues before. So we were at a medieval castle, a bit of a rocky terrain there as well. Then we were in an old prison, which was also a bit tricky if you wear uh, your best uh, stiletto. And then here at the shipyard, the dock, you don't want to wear the stilettos because the heels are going to break. So we are really a laid back event where also the ladies can skip the heels for a couple of days. Right. And also I know that besides actual meetings and speakers, you can enjoy some art during Shift Festival. Yes. From the beginning, we had our creative director of the first year, Erika Halonen, who actually developed the Shift concept. Mm -hmm. She wanted to bring a lot of art and culture into the mix. And the idea behind that was that the people can experience something together. You know, two strangers can see that there is a racehorse in the middle of the event like we had in 2016. Mm -hmm. We actually did have a racehorse there. And, you know, as an art or experience like that, you know, the people might, we thought, and I think it's true, that they will connect on a deeper level than, you know, in a traditional business event where you go to the meetings, one-on-one meetings, for example, and you start selling yourself right at that first moment. And that's not really, you know, something how you do deep connections with potential customers or tech developers or partners or so forth. 
Right. So establishing connections. Yes. Actually, I guess that's a good time to ask, what are you shifting here? What does the name come from? <laughs> so the name shift comes from the idea that we want to create change, positive change. We want that the companies would explore new technologies as opportunities for changing their business towards more sustainable, more intelligent ways of doing. So yeah, so shifting towards a more positive future. And I can tell you that at least according to our interview from Metza Group representative, the spirit is there. Yes. Speaking of, since we mentioned speakers, what are the tracks, what are the speakers, what are the events people can visit this year? Yes, so we have two main spheres that we are exploring. One is AI, artificial intelligence, but more on a concrete level than before. I think last year our main speaker was a true, true visionary, Nick Boostrom, who talked about, you know, what's going to happen when singularity reaches us and, you know, the machines are going to be more intelligent than us, which was really a really nice future scenario to think about. But this year we decided to kind of really dive, like, under the surface mm -hmm. of the AI hype and go to the concrete level and what actually is possible right now? How can the companies use AI? How can they deploy AI? Really concrete processes, for example, in our workshops that you can attend to learn how to do that. Oh, yes. And the other subject that we are diving uh, or talking about is um, circular economy. At this point, is a good to remind our listeners that we're actually recording on the spot of Shift Festival. So if there is some event where Tribecast can do an episode for you, where send us a message and we're always happy to go where and meet people and so on and so forth. But yeah, circular economy. Yes, so circular economy is the other uh, main sphere this year. And we chose circular economy in an industry level because we wanted to talk about or have more impact. And if I remember the numbers correctly, about 90% of emissions come from the industries and only 10% from households. So if we talk about circular economy, we chose industry because we just want to get more to the impact side. But of course, we also want everyone to recycle at home as well. Right. And as far as I got from your LinkedIn profile, your personal interest is women in tech. Do you have an implementation of that during Shift Festival? Yeah, actually, women in tech, or I think Mimit Goda, which is this uh, Finnish equivalent of that as well for the e-business RU, uh, they have event in Helsinki at the moment. Mm -hmm. But we do good cooperation with the e-business RU, and next year we will uh, try to coordinate something so that we don't have like the simultaneous events in different places. But then our partner Sandvik actually came here. They had this women from Sandvik type of campaign mm -hmm. and they chose the women that come to this tech event because they want to promote the kind of the technological know-how in mm -hmm. their women employees. Yeah. And as for myself, I studied marketing in a business university. But since then, I did the ITP, Information mm -hmm. Technology Program at Aalto University, a couple of years back. And I'm very interested in technology myself as well. So studied uh, some coding in my free time. And, and that's also very interesting. Recommended. Okay, that's quite a diverse and vast background. Right. So since you're so many years... Besides changing of the venue, 
anything which is specific for shift of this year compared to previous ones? Well, I think that what is specific for this year is that we didn't grow in numbers, but we did grow to, well, we can also go and talk to some of the other people that attend here, but I feel that we have grown in quality. Mm -hmm. So even though we do use volunteers uh, still as well, we our turnover has been growing and we use more money to actually pay people as well. So <laughs> I think that's something that I really personally value a lot because I know that a lot of events and a lot of communities rely on volunteer work. And sometimes, you know, if you do it for many years in a row, it's it gets a bit tiring. So it has gotten a bit more professional, I would say, from year to year. All right. So Shift, professional business festival from Turku. Yes. Thank you very much for having time for this interview, Mari. Thanks for and, having me. Oh, no, I have one, one last question, just mm-hmm. out of my own curiosity. The after party. In my humble understanding, the after party should be after the event. Why do you have it after the first day? Well... That's a good question. Last year, we had our event on the same weekday, so Thursday, Friday, and mm-hmm. we had the after party on the Friday night. Mm-hmm. But it turns out that, and I think it has to do with also the fact that we are not only a startup event. So we have a maybe a little bit older people, like <laughs> older people that come mm-hmm. to shift, but... A lot of people missed the after party last year because they had to go home to their families and so. So now we moved it to Thursday night because, you know, then you can, I think more people can enjoy it and they don't have to go home. Okay, so let, let's just check tonight if there yes. will be more people this year and definitely let's make some meaningful encounters during these two days. Thank you very much for inviting Tribecast and it's actually our first shift festival. Hopefully that's a beginning of a new story, a new relationship. Let's hope uh, thank so. you very much for having time for this interview. Thank you. Now we have Stefan from Handelsbanken. So hello Stefan. Hello. Let's probably start from the very, very beginning. Can you tell our listeners a few things about yourself before we continue to festival and Handelsbanken and whatever else. Absolutely. Yes. Uh, thanks for having me here. My name is Stefan Erne. I'm uh, originally from Germany. I've been working in the telecoms industry for the last 20 years, uh, right. starting at uh, Deutsche Telekom and then moving over to the IT side there within uh, Deutsche Telekom to T-Systems. And then the last 10 years or 10 years at Ericsson in Sweden right. on a very global role, being right. around all, the, all over the world, discussing what this digital transformation means for different companies, different industries. And now for the last two years, I've been with Handelsbanken as chief digital officer. And I'm, I'm trying to drive this this whole transformation actually in the, in the whole bandwidth and try and to create an understanding for what it means and especially what it takes to really embrace this change and becoming more proactive in all of that and not reactive. Speaking of understanding, wie konnte ich Deutsch gesprochen, aber dann man versteht und nicht? Ich mache das gerne auf Deutsch weiter, ja. So, that's quite a diverse career. So probably you're the person to ask what's so specific about Finnish business ecosystem before we go any further. Yeah. In your in your experience, in your understanding. To be honest, I cannot say that much about the Finnish, but maybe more about the Scandinavian, I would oh, say. Nordics. Uh, Nordics We are not yeah. in Scandinavia. It's Nordic. It's not Scandinavia here. No, okay, okay. it's Finland. Just, yeah, they're, they're usually yeah, quite unhappy. Okay, sorry. I think what is pretty obvious here is that the, um, it's much more open. 
I think it's not that as, high, as much hierarchy mm -hmm. as, as in, in German organizations, mm -hmm. as I've mm -hmm. seen, mm -hmm. which I think is important to understand how companies work internally, but also how open they are to mm -hmm. work with fintechs or mm -hmm. with, uh, with external partners. Mm -hmm. And this, uh, this openness and this uh, maybe also this, it's a little bit closer. A lot of people know each other. It's easier to meet people again on, um, on conferences, for example. I think this creates a totally different vibe of creativity, innovation, which is uh, driven by the companies itself, but especially also, of course, by, by small companies like startups. All those creative startups, how much cooperation between them and Handelsbanken is happening? We are uh, talking to lots of startups on a daily basis. I guess they're asking for money. Uh, no, and, th and that's interesting because most of them are not asking for money. Because as I see, money at the moment is not the problem for the companies. To get investments, because there are so many investors. As we see, there are so many companies or investors who just want to spread money because the i mean you know how the, the the situation is in the world you're not getting a lot of money in, in other ways so that's why they're really more willing and open to um to invest a lot of companies that's why when when companies come to us they're not out after money mm -hmm. and that's why we don't for example we do not have an investment arm like a lot of other banks have because we um We don't see a big need for that, and this is not our model. That's not the way that we want to make money, to mm -hmm. be honest. When they come to us, they they usually come to get access to our customers, mm -hmm. uh, because this is something where, at least in the, in the finance industry, maybe compared to the telco industry where I've been before, the open or the trust is has a different level. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's why a lot of consumers, even if a startup has some cool solutions, they don't really dare to go there because it's uh, some they don't dare. There's not the trust, and that's why they come to us to get access to our customers. That's uh, what, no, number one. And the second thing is regulation, um, because as soon as you, as long as you're very small, you can do basically what you want. But as soon as you're getting bigger and you're becoming a, a bigger player, you have to handle all this regulation. And I mean, this in the finance industry is not that easy. Uh, so these are actually the, the two things when we get in uh, contacted by startups or fintechs. Uh, th this is what they're after when they contact us. Okay, now I have so many mm. questions. So first of all... Um, I recently talked with somebody and I heard this phrase that there is kind of a belief that if a startup comes from the Nordics, mm -hmm. it's already a bit higher quality than other parts of Europe. Would you agree with that? To be honest, no, I wouldn't agree. Uh, okay. Because, I mean, we have a lot of contact with uh, startups from uh, from Ireland, from mm -hmm. Israel, uh, from Germany. Of course, there's a culture, cultural there closer. Uh, Language-wise, I think it's it's easier to understand each other. But from a from a quality perspective about the the technical solutions, mm -hmm. but also to be honest in explaining the business value mm -hmm. that they can provide, we have seen good examples from all countries, but we also have seen a lot of um, not as good examples. Right. And what should be a startup be for you? Decide not to help, not to help, and not to cooperate with them. What is your no no? But our no-no is um, is very much based on, I think, what the company that we want to be. I mean, we want to be a relationship bank that mm -hmm. people trust in and where we are helping our customers in the long term mm -hmm. to handle their financial lives. Mm -hmm. So if companies come to us with cool solutions, how we could use or maybe misuse uh, the data of our customers mm -hmm. uh, or create short-term uh, quick wins, mm -hmm. uh, this is nothing that we're interested in. So Handelsbanken is about long-term and honesty. Exactly. Long-term relationships and an honest customer relation. Okay. And, of course, one of the places to meet potential partners, startups, and tell people about yourself are 
business and startup festivals like Shift. And I guess this is one of the reasons behind you being here today. But also I know that you're one of the speakers during the event. Could you please tell our listeners a bit about your presentation? Now, I think this is about the, the, the topic that everybody's talking about digitalization. Everybody's mm-hmm. talking about AI and blockchain and all that and cloud and all that cool stuff. But uh, the more you talk about, the more questions pop up around it uh, because it's a quite a complex topic. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not only about how you can... Uh, use AI to disrupt the banking industry because AI or AI on its own is such a wide space that the question doesn't really make sense. And especially if you look at the, the different aspects of a digitalization journey or the digital transformation, it's of course much more than just having a cool app or a cool website or a cool service or just shifting like 5% of your sales into digital channels. It's really more about understanding the complexity that comes with it in creating a new ways of working with, with Agile, for example, defining new roles in the company, understanding what open banking, for example, means for you both from a technological perspective, from a customer interaction, from a partnership interaction, yeah, how to work with fintechs, all the way to what kind of new business models are possible with the data that the banks already have, that the banks or that you as a company can, can collect via open and regulated APIs like PSC2 or via open APIs where you can get the weather data for the last 10 years. What can you do with it? So I think if you understand the, the bandwidth of this digital transformation. Digital in this context means, of course, that technology is the, the driver behind it, but the real business value very often is uh, is not created only by the digital technology. It's created the right setup, by the right customer interaction, by the, by changing processes. So I think this um, this is <laughs> what I'm trying to to explain a little. How do we see this whole complexity and what, what is the way that Handels Banking is embracing it? So Handelsbanken doesn't see fintech startups as rivals. Yeah, and, and this is where, I mean, of course, there's this uh, cool, uh, popular term, frenemies. Yeah? I mean, they're friends and enemies. And of course, some startups are giving us a hard time. Others really want to cooperate with us. So it's, and let's put it like this, we see a bigger potential in working with startups than we see a threat that they will take away our business totally. Mm-hmm. Do you actually think they can? Take away business? Yeah, yeah. yeah because I mean... I mean I have a, a translation background, yeah. and I can say it on the record. I don't believe that Google Translate or whatever translation software will be good <laughs> enough to completely fully substitute human. Yeah. Because, of course, there are technical texts, mm. which are terms, terms, and some more terms, mm. and then some prepositions. Yeah. But then there is poetry. There are newspaper articles, all yeah. kind of this stuff, which really needs the understanding, mm. the feeling of beauty, the cultural understanding, which cannot be put into machine, yeah. at mm. least for the next 100 years. Oh, mm. So do you really believe that fintech startups can substitute traditional banking. And I think that's a cool example. And to be honest, I, I wouldn't only face this on fintech and startups. I would mm-hmm. really say, is can digital interactions or digitalization take away human the need for humans or the need for human interaction? Mm-hmm. And there I totally agree to, and I think that was a cool example, and I would say absolutely no. And uh, as I also pointed out earlier, I think 
only this event or the fact mm -hmm. that events like this are getting a bigger and bigger traction. I mean, if you look in the finance industry, there's... Uh, There are three events in Stockholm every week about AI and finance, blockchain and finance, uh, fintech uh, corporations, reg tech and all that stuff. I mean, the need for people to meet and understand that and discuss it is just growing. Although you, you basically you find all the content online. So from, from a pure content perspective, there's mm -hmm. no need to go to these conferences mm -hmm. and still people need this interaction to make sense out of it, to, to discuss about it. So um, uh, that's why I totally agree to you. I think digital interactions, digital tools, digital processes, they will make a lot of our life easier, but there are new challenges rising. There are new, new, new complexity that we have to handle. And that's why I think that the human interaction uh, will, uh, will be needed in the future as well. Right. Thank you very much for this interview, Stefan. Now let's continue to the Shift Business Festival and meet new people. And of course, good luck with your presentation. Okay, great. Thanks a lot for having me. And it's Shift Business Festival Day 2. And hopefully today we will finish recording this episode. Though there were some technical problems, we're still alive and kicking. And my first guest of the second day is Risto, who will now tell us everything about Neste. But first, we'll ask Christo about himself. Hello, thank you very much for having time for this interview. And yeah, please tell a few things about your background. Yes, hello, Risto speaking here. So yeah, my full name is Risto Vapolan and uh, I'm working at Neste. So uh, and uh, working with uh, two ones, uh, having our uh, renewable feedstocks uh, to the chemical industry, petrochemical industry. That's, that's my focus, uh, look, on, on my work at Neste. And my background, personally, I mean, I have been working at Neste now around three years, but I have been in the, within the industry, I would say, with the polymers and, and chemicals already about, uh, yeah, more than 20 years, actually. So working with uh, packaging converting companies uh, prior uh, Neste and uh, But in any case, I have been working with the, with the, with the materials and, of course, uh, in different functions. So, I mean, both in the, in the product development uh, functions all the way to, to sales. Yeah. So um, now with Neste, I would say that, uh, that my role is very much about uh, business development, actually. Yeah. So, so we are creating something new with the, what we have available from, from our raw materials. Okay, I have more kind of, let's say, technical hat in a way because my background, I'm a chemical engineer. Mm. So, uh, I mean, uh, let's say the educational part, but also the, where I've been working, of course, it's, it's uh, giving a solid background for understanding the business, how it works today. And it gives also the, uh, the possibility to understand how we can change, kind of disrupt the uh, existing business somehow, yeah. And what are the challenges? Who are, let's say, the decision maker in, in this kind of, let's say, value chains we have ahead of us. Yeah. So I'm, I'm very much involved in, in speaking to, to production partners towards where we are selling our products, but also then further down in the value chain. So, I mean, we are really going and, and discussing with all the way to brand owners. I mean, so that they are aware of that, what we can offer offer this kind of industry and also to their products and it's really challenging i mean beside what we are doing today also we're screening a lot of new opportunities how we can for example find new technologies to to make the things true and so it, it's also that um, 
we have a dialogue also with, with uh, for example, startups coming with new ideas. So, so we are making kind of, let's say, due diligence or on the technologies and so on. And then if it goes further, then, of course, it's, it's also about checking the, let's say, the, let's say the business models or the, or the business feasibility of those. Yeah. So that's, a, let's say, short or long brief introduction here as a beginning, yeah? That was quite an intense introduction. Thank you very much. Nesta kind of has this, for people who are out of the field, Nesta kind of has this image, so to say that you're basically about oil and fuel. Sorry to say that it's, it sounds like this for people who are not really there. Could you give a few examples what else do you do? And maybe it would be more interesting to our listeners if there are some examples of cooperation with some startups which came to your small companies with good ideas yeah so yeah it's really true i mean if, if you look on what neste has been and of course still is yeah in a way that uh, what kind of products we are making so so the biggest volume is still in 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 refining uh, crude oil mm-hmm. to uh, different kind of products but mainly for fuels in road traffics uh, aviation and, and also streams goes to the petrochemical industry so a big part is still uh, fossil based so crude oil based mm-hmm. but anyway if you look on our uh, track record what we have done since a bit more than 10 years building up our capabilities to also to produce um, similar kind of hydrocarbons from renewable materials mm-hmm. renewable feedstocks so we have been taking bigger big steps towards that yeah so we have quite extensive production platform also for making the same molecules from uh, renewable feeds yeah and uh, already on the market if you look there what we have what we are offering and selling is the renewable fuels so especially renewable diesel but it's already in in big volume on the market and and of course beside that we are building up uh, businesses around uh, having the same same basic raw materials to other applications like replacing the fossil fuels for aviation so fossil kerosene, replacing that with a renewable one, and also then uh, being able to provide these these solutions also to the, uh, for example, the, the plastic industry and, mm-hmm. and, and chemical industry. That's already, we are, let's say, in the process to, to build up really, I mean, big volumes also for the renewables. But it's true, we are, we are still in the, in, in the fossil business in a way. Yeah. So, but, but we see that we are in a transforming the business bit by bit to, from the fossil dependency to, to more circular kind of solutions. To more like up-to-date solutions, so to say. Yeah, and, and we see that, of course, that uh, if you want to, to run the business till... Uh, till the world's end? Till, I mean, after 10 years, 20 years, we, we have to change our, how, how we are doing it. You know? So it, it's uh, a mandatory to still uh, to be in the business and, of course, to have the license to, to operate in a way. Uh, also from, if you look, what uh, consumers and... and uh, and, and all the communities are asking for a big change from this kind of traditional business. Right. And say there is a startup who has come up with, I don't know, renewable tires made out of coffee cups, whatever. How do they reach to you? We see that, of course, there are these kind of startups. They are basically then, of course, there are different channels. They are, they are, I mean, coming and contacting us maybe directly. When we are at the conferences, for example, we are trying to be visible at, at different conferences around renewable materials and, mm-hmm. and those kind of things. So, uh, I mean, those are, I mean, good places to, to have this kind of networking with, also with small startups. Mm-hmm. But also they are taking contact via 
yeah, they can find the, the, the ways. I mean, they can phone to our phone desk at, mm-hmm. at Nest, and of course, they are then, of course, guiding them further to the right people, yeah. But um, we are, with startups, we are working re- really, I mean, to, if you look on, on the, how we are getting into contact, I mean, either we are finding them uh, mm-hmm. through our channels, so we are screening different uh, different technologies and startups ourselves, mm-hmm. but also other way, they are coming to us also, yeah, uh, offering their solutions. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and of course, in many cases, they have good ideas, but okay. What they are lacking is, is of course, the resources to build up the, on scaling up uh, the technology, so so I mean it's it's really about to to uh, I mean they are trying to find the finance for 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 building up and scaling up, mm-hmm. uh, but also then further resources because I, I think that we are with our resources I think we are then able also to to help to develop further technologies in in the uh, organic chemistry uh, for example and or, or chemical engineer that's our core business actually yeah. mm-hmm. so we have quite extensive let's say experience and 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 resources also on that side all right aristo i know that you're also one of the speakers uh, during shift business festival is the topic of your presentation about renewable resources or something like that yeah it's really that yeah i mean it's it's uh, if i remember the topic right it's it's how chemistry is enabling a circular economy huh? so it's it's really the core of the thing. Yeah. I mean, how to decrease the dependency on dependency on on crude oil, actually, yeah. or let's say fossil fossil resources. Yes, yeah, true. I mean, it's it's uh, that's our I would say the core business or the future for us. I mean, where we we need to go, yeah, and and uh, and and process less uh, fossil resources, but then of course heading to kind of different kind of waste streams, for example, waste plastic as one resource for our feedstocks, yeah, to, to create these kind of more circular solutions for, for how we live today, for example. What are your expectations about a presentation? And aren't you worried, aren't you a bit afraid of doing it second day of the festival when people are a bit of, you know, tired of networking, maybe a bit hangoverish after the after party, maybe a bit, you know, calming down? Yeah, I mean, it's always a risk to be maybe, perhaps we are not the last, but almost the last uh, presentation. Or I will be a part of the panel, so I mean, we are... There will be a moderator, and we are, I think, four four different persons joining that panel. So uh, maybe that's also giving perhaps more a lively discussion. You know, so it's it's not you that you can just talk to yourself. Yeah, that's that, and that's not so perhaps not not so monotone. I mean, I mean, okay, depending on how good presenter you are, but but uh, these kind of panel discussions are perhaps more lively. I mean, there are different views, and of course, also the audience can uh, can uh, m- maybe easily t- uh, t- to participate in that those discussions we will have i run out of questions for today i wish you good luck with your presentation and i wish you a productive second day of shift business festival thank you very much for having time for this interview okay thank you yes. and the best part of festivals for me is that Besides, there is background noise and all the craziness and all the misunderstandings and (laughs) constant dragging the heavy equipment with me. You just meet people. You just meet lots of awesome, interesting people. And it's quite easy to talk them into giving an interview or visiting some events you're planning. We are planning within Tribe Tamper community and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And... I just ran into a person I have high respect to pretty much <laughs> since my master years. Probably we can start with asking you to tell a few things about yourself so our listeners feel the vibe which I feel towards your work. Oh, 
Yeah, my name is Joanna Bryson. Uh, I work in artificial intelligence. Actually, I am most interested in natural intelligence, but I do artificial intelligence because I'm a good programmer and I wanted to get into the best university I could. <laughs> and so I thought I would take what I was interested in and what I was good at and put them together. So I have been doing this since, really since the 1980s was when I did my undergraduate degree. And I first started working in artificial intelligence in 1986 when I got to Twitter. I just hear the earlier generation of our listeners, sorry to interrupt, just saying, was there some artificial intelligence in the 1980s? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There was in the 50s. You know, that's when they invented it. And, it. and it depends how you think about these things, because one of the things now is people say, oh, we'll never have artificial intelligence. And, and they're thinking that it's not artificial intelligence if it doesn't look like Arnold Schwarzenegger. You know, of course, they don't say that, but they... Thi- they keep t- now there's people talking about artificial general intelligence and like, you know the, the and they're saying there's nothing general. Look, nothing is more general than Bayes' law, right? Bayes' law is how you combine information. It's a mathematical fact. You know when you when you're trying to learn something, that's how you do it. So we're perfectly general. The point is that with intelligence, well, with, intelligence is a form of computation, and computation takes time, it takes space, and it takes energy. So you're never, ever going to know all the things. We were just uh, talking a little bit before we started uh, recording that um, robots can't take all the jobs because there aren't a finite number of jobs. There's a finite number of jobs that we have right now, but Mm -hmm. we could do more jobs. We create new jobs. I mean, a century ago, something like 95% of people are in agriculture, right? It doesn't mean that now 95% of people are unemployed. But employment, I think, you know, people tend to think of it as, well, as, as when you're applying for a job. You know, like somebody has created a slot, you're going for that slot, you know, so there's a finite number of slots. But I think the better way to think about it is the relationship between people. Mm-hmm. That you've found, you have some ideas, or you have some capital, or you have some uh, access to capital, and then you choose to spend some of that getting people to do some of the stuff that you want to get done, mm-hmm. right? And so the question is, well, why do you do that? And then if you think intelligence means human-like, then you can choose how you want to use the word, and you can say Mm -hmm, that. mm -hmm. But I would rather use the word human-like for Mm -hmm. (laughs) human-like. And so when I talk about intelligence, uh, I like to use a definition that I learned as an undergraduate, and it it turns out it goes back to 1883, Mm -hmm. which is just the capacity to do the right thing at the right time. And it's it's not a binary. It's not that you're either intelligent or you're not intelligent. I mean, some things are absolutely not intelligent, like the floor, right? But uh, Or you could say, you know, it depends, you could say that's one, that it only is being a floor, right? But basically, uh, you're more intelligent if you're more able to handle more contexts, right? right? By, by producing more different kinds of actions for more different kinds of contexts. So it's more of a relative term than an absolute term, if you see what I mean. Mm-hmm. So anyway, uh, one way to think about that is this computation. Mm-hmm. So you're taking context, which is information, mm-hmm. and you're producing action, mm-hmm. Okay. So in that case, it's a great definition because it means even plants are intelligent, right? The plants are going towards the light. And, of course, famously from – it turns out it's John McCarthy. I thought it was Marvin Minsky, but he took credit for it. But (laughs) John McCarthy's thing – that thermostats are intelligent. Even if they don't have any, you know, CPU in them, if it's just a spring, Mm -hmm. still it senses when it gets too hot or too cold and then it turns on or it turns off, right? right? So that's already a very basic, basic kind of intelligence. 
So, uh, yeah, we've had thermostats a long time, mm-hmm. right? And um, uh, I had, I think it was Hal Hobson of The Economist said to me, oh, I think language is the original AI. And I said, yeah, me too. And he was like, oh. <laughs> but yeah, language is the technology that we, that we, you know, inventing probably isn't the right world, word, but, you know, it's part of what humans are. We're apes right. with a lot of technology, with a lot of culture. Right. And, um, and we've been using it to expand our capabilities for a long time. And so now people get this false idea that like artificial intelligence is this new species we've discovered that you know, came from outer space or something, or that the algorithms are things you mine out of the ground or you know something like that. That that it's just a a certain way that things are. To some extent, you could say an algorithm is you know a natural thing like you know, logarithms. How did you come up with logarithms? That you could say that there are sort of facts out there. But artificial intelligence itself is an artifact that you've built to transform some context into some action, right? right. And so the, the A in artificial intelligence means that it's an artifact, that it is someone's responsibility. And so what I'm working on most right now, I sort of never set out to be here, but mm-hmm. I wound up, and we can talk about it if you want, um, doing a lot on policy. So helping people see that it is only ordinary technology there are things that are different, like using machine learning to build AI means that you're uploading computation you've already done, mm-hmm. and in doing that, you're uploading parts of, for example, human culture, mm-hmm. and then you get human biases. So that was something that people didn't anticipate because they thought, oh, AI is math and algorithms are math, and, and so it's going to be perfect and neutral and eternal, and that we could have you know, eternal life if we update ourselves as, as algorithms and things like that. But no, none of that stuff makes any sense. It's totally incoherent. As I said, math is eternal, but that's because it's an abstraction. You know, it is just sort of true that two and two is four. Right. And there's not anything very interesting about that in a way. I mean, I, not to diss mathematics, it's a cool field. But, but, I, but the point is that um, in terms of stuff happening, and in terms of there being causes, and of there being people who are, or anything that's responsible... Mm-hmm then you have to talk about physical processes. And the physical processes are always, always initiated. Well, not all physical processes, but everything that's done by AI, that we would call AI, is initiated by humans. basically wanted to ask you, I also wanted to ask you, besides everything else, in your opinion, because for some of our listeners, it, you might be a bit of a bit of off-road, so to say, person <laughs> to this event. What yeah. are you doing at Shit Startup Festival? Well, that's really interesting. What happened was I went and gave, I mean, okay, this, so this is even more embarrassing. Not only did I not know about Shift, but I didn't know about the Council of Europe. But Finland is the host of the Council of Europe this year, and they invited me earlier this year, very early this year, I think like February, to speak at the Council of Europe. I may be off road for shift, but I'm uh, apparently pretty mainstream now for very, like, you know, the UN, the, the Council of Europe, the EU, I had been working with, you know, various things like that. So anyway, they asked me to come and talk about artificial intelligence and what it actually is and how to regulate it. And so people liked my talk there a lot. And they invited me to this, and they said, oh, you have to come. And I was like, well, I like Finland, and, you know, it's the summer. That sounds fun. So I, I came. So I didn't have a strong – I do sometimes talk, not that often, but occasionally talk at business festivals. And I was a professional programmer for five years after my undergraduate degree because, you know, in America we have to pay for our undergraduate degrees. And I paid my 
tuition off by working, I'm sorry, in the financial industry. But that was, that, and then after five years, I meant to do it for two years, but things happened. Then after five years, I went back and did my graduate education, and I've been an academic, you know, kind of public servant ever since. But that means that if I am asked to do a business kind of setting, I can... I know what it's like to be a professional programmer. I can I can talk about that also because of the fact that it happened to be the financial industry. I know something about that too. You know how money works and how countries are interconnected. You know these things I had never studied, but I picked it up a little bit because of this job I had. I also worked for a while during my postgraduate degree. Again in America, you don't always get paid in the summers or whatever. So. I wound up working for Lego, and then uh, twice I worked for Lego. I worked for them in Boston, and then again in uh, Bülent in Denmark. So in Boston, I was working on, uh, they were trying to figure out how to make a robot product, which of course became Mindstone, Mindstorms, but we were still just, we, the, I was researching whether you even needed to let the kids be able to program or if you could provide a bunch of programs and let them build around the programs, which I thought was a really cool idea. They didn't really run forward that much with that. And then in Denmark, I worked virtual reality, so AI for virtual reality, so that you could immerse yourself you know, in Legoland, sort of in the VR Legoland, and see yourself at the same size as the, the things you were assembling. So that was, they wanted us to make AI characters. So that was a lot of fun. Uh, that was in 1998, incidentally. Oh, yeah, because we were talking about how did I come to shift. So I don't find it that hard to talk at these things. In fact, I kind of love it. In a way, it's like coming home and doing something that feels natural. I understand a business audience, I think. The, the, certainly the people were paying close attention during my, during my talk. So I think I successfully uh, did what was asked. <laughs> Can you please very shortly summarize what was Yeah, maybe that's why everybody was paying attention. Was because they, the title was so boring that they knew what they were getting themselves into. It was about how to make AI something that you can regulate. So what is regulation? I mean, at the most basic level, it's about making sure that there's a reasonable distribu distribution. You know, like that that you are able to address the concerns of a society and keep a society secure. And so you use a government to take some of the assets and then build some kind of security for the society. So that's the most basic thing. So artificial intelligence, people say, oh, my goodness, you know, no one's, we don't know anything about it. it. You know, if we try to regulate it, we'll break it. You know, there are these really weird ideas about that. But it isn't the machines themselves that you're trying to regulate. It's the human decisions about what kind of products you're creating and whether you're, you're providing adequate safety, do, how do you test it, when do you release it, how do you know that it's cyber secure, how do you make sure that nobody else interfered with the code and might have introduced some kind of hazard. So just documenting that you followed proper procedures. You know, people that say, oh, we can't regulate something because we have deep learning in it. It's like, look, you, you regulate banking and nobody knows how brains work. I mean, we sort of do, but we don't sit there and figure out what every single synapse does. So the same thing, we know how deep learning works, we know how to train it, you know, sometimes we do a bit of trial and error, but we have some idea of like when do you, how many layers do you need and what parameters do you set. And the same way, that's what you're doing with banks. We, you know, we know enough about what a person does that we keep tracks of the accounts and we see that they've done, if they've been stealing or whatever, we should hopefully have enough information. So I was talking about you know, just helping with that framing, talking about what AI is, getting over this and trying to talk about the, the benefit, why do you want to have government, right? It used to be that you know, some strong man would come along with, with a sword or something and say, you guys have to do this, right? 
But at this point, you can see it more as a as something that emerges from, uh, organically, uh, cooperatively. That it's a job. It's a job that we want someone to make sure that we all agree we want to live in a society that where that has certain kinds of assets, including that we don't we want to you know for example run honest businesses, and or most of us do. We don't want to have to deal with dishonesty and all the you know the the you know, backhanded whatever bribes all that kind of stuff, but. If we think that somebody else in our sphere is doing that, then we feel a need to race to the bottom. And one of the ways to stop the race to the bottom is to get together, figure out what, what good behavior looks like, and then have somebody's job to enforce that. It doesn't make sense for me as a software specialist to be the one that is also the one who's in charge of the jail, right? So you get someone else to enforce it, but you come up with the standards of good behavior and you inform the government what they are, Right. So that's right now is when we're trying to go through, and, and that's like I said, I'm just explaining to regulators, hey, we have these things. It's called DevOps. You know, you can go, you can look at the revision control, you can see why people did what they did. And if they don't keep documentation, well, then you say it's their fault if their product breaks. The ideal for companies is that they should be able to prove, you know, that they did the stuff right and that if something's gone wrong, that there's been a crime, you know, someone's hacked into it and they can identify that. Or that the user misused it, right? And so a company, it's in their interest to provide that information to the regulators so the regulators can help, you know, help the company, when they do the right thing, get rewarded for doing the right thing. So that was my talk. All right. Uh, thank you very much for these explanations, and thank you very much for your time. It was my great pleasure to talk, and hopefully both me and our listeners learned something new about AI and maybe got a bit of less afraid of using it and reading about it. <laughs> well, at least you should be less afraid that some people have it. You might be a little more afraid than you are about using it when you think about that cybersecurity stuff. So be careful what you buy, and, and be careful who you buy it from. <laughs> Buy <laughs> right stuff from right people. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I can uh, keep it as my motto for Shift Festival because this was my last interview for these two days. Oh, wow. I can go and buy myself some lunch. It's a late lunch. She's working hard for you guys. <laughs> Thank you very much, Joanna, for this interview. Thank you. This was Tribecastra. Episode 30, and my name is Marina. Let me remind you that Tribecastra is an independent media working in a close cooperation with Tribe Tampere startup community. I guess you're already tired of my talking, so it's time to wish you a nice weekend. Have a happy autumn and stay warm and tuned. Tribecast. Tribecast.